Live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Europe. Today is Sunday, May 10th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. The, um, th- this is the second installment of White Nationalist Cognitive Dissonance where our goal is to illustrate how a um, a Weltanschauung, a worldview that is not founded thoroughly in our ancient history, our history as a race, and all of its basically original beliefs, and, and the beliefs that our fathers have carried on for thousands of years, can lead one to actually be a servant of the enemies of our race. I'm going to read something from um, the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. Gentile masonry, masonry blindly serves as a screen for us and our objects, but the plan of action of our force, even its very abiding place, remains for the whole people an unknown mystery. We shall destroy God. It is indispensable for us to undermine all faith, to tear out of the mind of the goyim the very principle of Godhead and the spirit, and to put it in its place, our Charismatical calculations and material needs. Great Christian minds of the 20th century and earlier certainly understood the designs of the Talmudic Jews. In Positive Christianity in the Third Reich, Caius Fabricius had written that free thinkers. And the advocates of free religious movements, however, who look upon the individual or the community, mankind or the people as the supreme being, all the various little aspects of different forms of Judaism in reality, and in deifying these, refuse to recognize, surrender to a superhuman spirit, possess no ultimate standard for the grading of values. If you believe that your morals come from God, those morals are immutable. Your values cannot be shaken, and the Jew cannot undermine your society. If you think that morals come from man, that values are created by that, that good values are created by men, then your values and your morals become fluid, and the Jew easily undermines your society. Fabricius goes on to say, thus great divergency is noticeable in the philosophical systems and trends of thought from the 18th to the 20th century in their determining of what is the highest value. Humanitarians or humanists 
there are who would glorify the social life as mankind as such, who consider thought to be the culmination of human life, aesthetes who regard art as the sublime in life, and there are also very doubtful re-evaluations, such as the practical materialism of the Marxists or the naturalism of Nietzsche, all being philosophies of life that may be either included in the Jewish materialistic spirit rejected by our program, meaning the program of the NSDAP, or else are dangerously near to it. For the more mankind and the physical phenomena of nature surrounding us are regarded as divine, the more quickly does the spirit of naturalism and materialism gain ground and the more rapidly does the importance of spiritual values vanish. And the sensual spreads like rank growth, in, and the animal in man clamors for its rights. In other words, the deification of mankind quickly degenerates into a deification of subhuman nature, as has been proved by numerous instances where Marxism holds sway, but is also to be found in other trends of thought as well, such as individual capitalism, which is the, the, the other arm of the Jewish dialectic, which we see in America and Europe today. We have been reduced to animals because we have allowed the Jew to, at least in the minds of the people, destroy God. These white nationalists, neo-white nationalists, who, who don't have a thorough classical education or any classical education at all, these white nationalists who reject God are pawns of the Jews. Those who reject Christianity are pawns of the Jews. They have proven themselves to be the proof of the success of the Jewish undermining of Christendom and the Jewish undermining of white Europe. They are the success because the Jew understands that he could undermine our race if he could separate us from our God and our historical past. That's exactly what's happened. Last week we spoke about Christian symbols in regard to our race, but we also spoke about evolution and how evolution is really only a religion being pushed upon us by the Jews. It's one of the vehicles by which the Jews, as they forewarned in the protocols, would destroy God. If evolution is really only a religion being pushed upon us by the Jews, then it would serve whites best to return to the anti-Jewish and Christian religion of our fathers. Whites have forsaken and abandoned their fathers by abandoning true Christianity, which is anti-Jewish. Whites have become disenchanted with organized churches, but those churches have been corrupted by Jewish influences. But original Christianity is anti-Jewish. You do not burn your house down when it becomes infested with rats. Rather, you exterminate the rats and you cleanse your house. 
Sven Longshanks, good afternoon. Or good evening, where you are. Hello, Bill. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, just getting into the evening now, but we've still got some, some daylight here now at last, and the, and the weather's good, so it's uh, it's pretty good here. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's it's shocking what the Jews have actually done, and that bit that you ju- that you um, just spoke about it reminds me of a, a Codriano quote where he said, "Just for the sake of a few bad priests, are we going to do away with God?" Because at the time it just seemed so absolutely ludicrous that just for the sake of a few bad priests you would do away with God. It's like just for the sake of a few bad farmers would you do away with farming altogether? It's you know if you just if you have one bad king do you do away with the monarchy? You know it, it, occasionally you do get bad bad sorts, but it doesn't mean that you throw the whole you don't throw the whole thing away. You don't throw the whole idea of Christianity away just because you get a few bad uh, uh, Christian types. And Christianity was always um, anti-Jewish. It remained anti-Jewish, I think, right up until the 15th or the 16th century. And, it, they, and they clearly, their views of Christianity back then were more in tune with Christian identity, uh, with the idea of the Jews, that is, because they used to consider that the Jews had tales right up until the 14th or 15th century. And the reason for that is because it says um, that the Jews are the children of the devil, uh, and the devils have tails. So they used to depict them with tails, and, and they said that they had tails. So they were, uh, you know, so they were, they were devils. They thought of them as that. And uh, the original church, uh, the original Celtic church, they said that they, they knew of no other authority but the scriptures. So all they did was follow the scriptures. And that's all that Christian identity does, is, is follow the scriptures, rather than listening to the established churches. But if, if the established churches were more in line with the scriptures, instead of ignoring the scriptures and trying to make up ways to um, ignore them and, and not follow them, then I think people would go back to these churches. Uh, and I've been looking around at uh, old churches just just recently in, in parts of the villages, and it used to be the centre of centre of village um, life. It used to be the centre of life for um, everyone. You know, just go to the church on the Sunday, and and they would be instructed to uh, improve their morals, improve their moral values. Uh, and this is part of it, just as you were saying back then about when people take God out of the picture, then they start worshiping man. And man is fallen, and he is corrupt, uh, and we uh, we do things that we wish that we hadn't done, and we can't see into the future. We don't know what the results are going to be of um, breaking some of these laws. It's like like they say, well, it feels good, so you should do it. Don't don't worry about the consequences. But the, the reason why you have a God that tells you the laws is because God's outside of time. You can see the consequences. You may not understand the reasoning behind the laws. They may not have understood the reasoning behind some of the dietary laws. But, you know, with hindsight, looking at it in the future, you can see why those laws were, were correct. But they may not have known that at the time. But uh, in the future, we know that those dietary laws were, were um, correct. And they're correct to ban them from eating certain substances, certain foods, because they were poisonous. They would have uh, done, done them harm. But they, we wouldn't have known that at the time. And, and it's like now when the... When the uh, uh, homosexuals say, "Oh, we should you should let us marry, or, or, or what they call marriage, and you should let us do what we do what we do. It doesn't matter if we do it in our own homes." But the, event, the eventual way that that affects society, society that it will affect society over the decades to come, is it, terrible. But they can't see further than than their own noses.
Yeah, and this is why you need to have you need to have a higher power that you appeal to, that you that is up above you, that that you're reaching for, rather than um, just thinking that man can make his own own laws and man can just just follow man and and worship man. I mean, that is just Talmudism, isn't it? The Jews worship themselves in their Talmud. Their their rabbis um, tell God what to do, and and the rabbis say in the Talmud that the Jews themselves are their own god. So the majority of Jews are, are atheists. So the idea that um, you should be worshipping your own your own race rather than loving your own race and worshipping God, the idea that you should be worshipping your race, that is Jewish. Uh, and raising man up on a pedestal and thinking that um, you know, man is the one to be emulated rather than, than God, again, uh, that, that's, that's Jewish. And it's materialistic. Instead of um, being spiritual, reaching up towards God, it, it's reaching down to, to the animal world, really. Because man is made of flesh, same as the uh, animals. So if you're going to be... Uh, doing what feels right, then you're going to be you're going to be a slave to the flesh. You're going to be dictated to by by your body and by the lower instincts that you have, which you share with the animal world, rather than um, what you share with God, because you you'll be ignoring your intuition. You'll be ignoring providence because it's not um, scientific. It's not what you've been taught to do. You've been taught to take uh, whatever you can, take whatever makes you feel good, regardless of what of how it affects society. That's the way that we're taught today. That, that's all, um, that all comes from uh, rejecting God and, and uh, taking God out, out of society. I think that, that's why the, the Jews were so keen to do it to us. They knew that we had this moral strength there when, when we had our God that we could appeal to, that we could, we could pray to. If things went wrong, we thought, well, we've just, you know, just been punished or we're being directed in, in, in a certain direction. And instead, people just get bitter about things now and uh, they re- end up rejecting one another, and we've got no unity, nothing to unite us apart from, you know, apart from our race. Whereas if, if we had our God to unite us, then that that's a, a, a supernatural being. It, it, it's above everything else, and that's where you have you have to appeal to for your, for the laws. You know, the laws come from a higher from a higher plane, a higher morality, the natural order created by God that, that creates these laws. If, if man's just just making them, then it's just to suit man, and you, and you've got no you've got no authority to stand on either. All the while you've got authority from God, then then authority has got authority. But if it's just making up its own authority, then you know man no man is better than the other man. So so where does their where does his authority come from? If it isn't you know making laws under God under God's jurisdiction, then it's just making laws and enforcing them with force. There's no higher higher being that's being appealed to to have made those laws. There's no higher authority there. There's no justification for um, for uh, having an authority or, or having a state even. There's no authority. It's just man using his, his force and, and violence to coerce other men when you take God out of it. That, that is the biggest element of Judaism that that atheist whites and and especially atheist white nationalists because they should know better. So I'm going to hold them to, to a higher standard than whites in general in in the population who really haven't considered these things and have no racial awakening. White nationalists claim to have a racial awakening, and if you believe that there are no laws that that it's um 
only man's law and, and laws that men create which should prevail, then you must either be strong enough to conquer all men or submit to somebody else's tyranny. The one or the other is the inevitable result. You have to be a tyrant or you're going to submit to tyranny because man's law prevails, so the strongest man will prevail. It's that simple. That basically reduces us to the level of the Negro in the jungle and to live by the law of the jungle where only might is right. And if you believe that might is right, then our race is obviously lost to our enemies already. If you believe that law comes from God and build a community based on that principle where everybody worships the same God and therefore follows the same law, then everybody in your community is going to coexist peacefully and respect one another according to the laws of that God. And and morality becomes something and, and, and what's considered normal behavior within a community becomes something that is solid and, and can't be shaken or upset by any individual member of the community. And, and that's, um, that's in a lot of ways that the, even amongst all of the non biblical cultures of early history, that is the, the, the foundation of law in those cultures. The Greeks had, the Greek philosophers had written about that, how diverse cultures believed that they had acquired their laws from their God. And, and that's been natural to our race for as long as our race has recorded history. So, so the idea that the Bible should dictate to us our laws, that's something that men have submitted to for many thousands of years, for as long as the recorded history of our race. And that is the natural order that we should follow in order to live peaceably amongst our fellow man. And when I say fellow man, I, of course, mean fellow men of the same race, because the other races don't have an origination, a commonality of, of kind that we have, so they don't belong in the picture. If, if, the, um, if, if the white nationalists want to think that might is right, then they're all going to die. Well, the real might is, is the, the eternal Right, you know, the, the the real might is the one that that created us, the one that created the world, uh, and has the power to create life, and and is pure spirit. That's that's the real might, and and if we're in the right, if we if we were all to be acting in the right and following God's law, then we wouldn't have any of these problems, and the Jews would have no power over us. We would have the might then, if we didn't give in to. Um, their, their temptations that they, that they give us. If we don't give in to their temptations to use their credit cards, to watch their pornography, to take their drugs, their gambling, 
women, the immorality. We didn't give in to these things. If we had, it, and we do have the strength to resist them. And uh, so, if we if we are morally correct and we're morally right, then we do have the might. We we have the individual might to resist these things. And, and if we were all to be like that, then it wouldn't be long before all the Jews are out and and all the other non-whites are out as well. And and we would have our community, um, without any of these other races in it. And this is this is what um. Germany did is what the Third Reich did. They they were living according to God's laws, and sure enough, they ejected the Jew. They got rid of usury, and um, life improved. And and look at the might that they had. Just that one country alone um, was almost able to beat the rest of the world, uh, and held out in those wars. So once you are acting in the right, then then you do you do get the might. You know, God helps you once once you are acting. Uh, according to his laws, and you're obeying his laws, then you, then you do ha- have the strength to um, succeed, I think. Well, well, absolutely. The only reason why National Socialist Germany was defeated is because three-quarters of its own race had turned against it. If America and Britain had not um, enlisted with the Jew, the international Jew, to um, to destroy Germany which we did, we colluded against our own Germanic brethren at the whims of the Jew. If we hadn't done that, Germany would be there today. There's no doubt. And, and the, um, the Soviet hordes what would have been pushed back into far Asia, where they belong. We would have been allied with them. Well, when I say Soviet hordes, I'm referring to all of the non-white and half-white people of the Soviet Union. We should have been allied with, with Germany. I mean, look at God's laws. A yellow white nationalist will, will, will say, oh, you know, this is, uh, this is saying that we should let our enemies in. It's not saying we should let our enemies in. I mean, God's laws are, uh, are saying that uh, race mixes should be put to death because that's, that's confusion, confusion of the kinds. That's an unforgivable sin. Race mixes should be put to death. Homosexuals, sodomites, they should be put to death. There should be no adultery. And it tells you that uh, there's no greater love that you can have than to lay down your life for your fellow man, which, which means to lay down your life in battle, defending your nation. And it says love your neighbor as yourself. That's talking about loving your nation, the, one, the ones that look like you. See, uh, true Christianity, biblical Christianity and biblical laws are, are totally in accord with, with the natural law and, and they're there to, to preserve our nations and, and preserve our societies. Well, well, laying down your life for your fellow man also includes times of peace when you devote your, your energies to the building of your community and to the helping of your fellow man and, and need need in that manner when you help everybody of your own race and and seek to advance your community which are the people of your own race who are around you and in contact with you that then devoting your life to the common good you lift up the entire nation that is the most basic principle that national socialism was founded upon that is the first principle that makes national socialism, there are others, but that's the first principle that makes national socialism a, a Christian philosophy.
an entirely Christian political philosophy. The other principles fall in line after that, such as the um, the, the abandonment of usury and, and things like that. And the idea of sacrifice, because that's what it is, is sacrifice, really. It, it's sacrificing your, your own needs for, for your nation, giving up your time and, and doing what you can for uh, the people in the future. And this notion of sacrifice, this goes back in, in the white man's religions. You won't find it in uh, Islam. You won't find the notion of sacrifice in Islam, but you'll find it in the white man's religion. You'll find it in the, in the Hebrew religion. You'll, you'll find it in the Vedas. And in the Vedas, right at the start, um, God appears as a man and sacrifices himself to himself. So it obviously has um, like a prefigure of, of the Christian um, idea with, with Jesus uh, sacrificing himself for the sins of the people. You have that right at the beginning of the Vedas, the created the God, because they only have one God in the Vedas. Uh, you know, our religions always only had one one God, one male God, but just with different different faces, different aspects to him. So this idea of sacrifice was was instituted right at the beginning, and it and it's part of white man's religion. It's also at the core of what they call Odinism, because the Germanic people, as they migrated from Mesopotamia into Europe, took that idea with them. It was a core component of their belief that the, um, the the God figure sacrificing himself on behalf of the people, the people the people follow suit, and that's a Christian principle. Take up your cross and follow me. I gave my lives for my brethren. No greater love has man than this to give up his life for his brethren. So we don't necessarily have to die for our brethren, unless we're in battle. But in times of peace, we should just as well devote our lives to the other members of our race and, and seek to help them, seek to help our brethren, our kindred, and, and in that sense, the wider community. That's, that, that's Christianity, real Christianity. And Adolf Hitler understood this. I tell people Adolf Hitler was Christian, and, and they think I'm nuts. Real Christianity is in practice. Real Christianity is not in church on Sunday morning. That is the, the bullshit Christianity that, that the Catholics created and the Jews have subverted. Real Christianity is not in church. It's in practice. Most of the modern church traditions did not even come from the Bible. National Socialism had its foundation in Christian philosophy, but it was not grounded in empty church language. It was putting Christian philosophy into practice, the idea of lifting your brother up, working and devoting yourself to your nation and your community, the idea of volunteerism in, in relation to helping your national kinsmen. And the Jews destroyed Hitler for that because it's the antithesis to Jewish capitalism and Jewish materialism, which have now embraced and, and gotten its grip upon our entire race. And, and the Jew is able to manipulate us in any direction he wants 
through the media because now we are all individuals and seeking our own individual gain at the expense of our kindred. Well, that goes right back to the beginning of um, human rights as well. Is it? They decided it was human rights for uh, someone to make as much as they could out of their fellow man. Whereas up until that point, everything had been weighed against um, against the society, and, and there was a just price, and uh, if it, you couldn't charge too much for things, and there were there were subsidies, so that things that were necessary were cheaper, so that everybody could afford them, and the human rights law came in so that people could make as much money as they possibly could, which you know if you're going to be taking extra money, it's got to come from somewhere, and it's coming from your fellow man. Whereas up until that point, there was like the communal storehouses, communal grain houses, and people would work together to get the, get the grain in from the fields, and there'd be a storehouse there that they could go to and, and take what they needed. And uh, all that was done away with, with uh, human rights law, where it was seen as your human right to make as much as you possibly can from your fellow man. And, and gradually from that point on, became more and more individualized and more and more everybody out for themselves and, and less and less of a, of a community feeling, you know, which is you know, capitalism, really. It, it doesn't have to be that way. And it showed that it didn't, didn't have to be that way. And just to point out, a lot of people say, oh, well, well Hitler wasn't, wasn't a Christian. And as you're saying there, Bill, from his actions, it shows you he was a Christian. And I looked through... Um, like Mein Kampf itself is full of references that um, would have only been written by somebody who was a Christian. It shows a great, great in-depth knowledge of the Bible. I went, there's one, went through one chapter, and every other page there's a, there's a reference to a Bible verse. And on every other page there's, there's a Christian reference or used or Christian language. So if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't know that. If you, if you hadn't read the Bible and knew the Bible well, you wouldn't realize it. You would just think that um, he was just using idioms and phrases, some of which are still in our language today. But they, they all have their roots in, in Bible verses, and there are some pretty obscure ones in there. So Hitler, you know, he wasn't just doing these things just, just because um, he thought they were the right things to do. He, he actually heard them and read about them, first of all, in, in the Bible, because he referenced this fact. And he, he used biblical language to describe the Jews, these wolves. And, uh, and, and, and the sheep and, and the shepherds and, and language like this that, that he used, which um, was biblical language. And it, it would have been recognized by the German people as such, as biblical language. So he wasn't anti-Christian. He, he couldn't have been trying to get rid of Christianity because Mein Kampf is full of all these Christian references. It, it, it's framed you know, in a, with a Christian worldview. A, proper, a properly Christian worldview, and, and churches themselves. The church is actually the people. It's the the um, the Christian people are, are the church. It's not a building. And, and these um, franchises, really, these these different churches that try to get people in there, and they and then they try to twist the word of the Bible, or they try to appeal to traditions which aren't actually included in the Bible. And the church is, you know, it's good, has been good for uniting our people at certain ages and it has done positive things. But nowadays, especially since the last war, the churches, are, these organized churches, are at the front of um, waging war against us. 
And that's why they're losing so many people. That's why their churches aren't full anymore. That's why nobody goes to them. And yet, instead of going back to the roots and going back to the Bible, they, they think they should be modernizing and, and becoming more liberal and, and ignoring what it says in the Bible and promoting liberal values instead. I've even heard churches say that to be a racist is a sin. To be against uh, immigration is a sin. Well, that goes totally against what it says in the Bible about um, God creating the separate nations. It even says that you're going to be in your na- it will be in our nations in the afterlife as well. So if you've got and uh, mixed your blood, what nation are you going to be in the afterlife? Well, you, you aren't going to be there, are you? Because you can't be. You know, so these churches that are preaching race mixing and saying, you know, come over and replace our people and interbreed with them, they, they're speaking out directly against what the what the Bible says. And they just hide these facts. I mean, the Catholic Church itself tries to encourage um, its church members not to actually read the Bible. This was one of the remarkable things. Hitler was a Catholic, and yet he was very, very well read in the Bible. This is you know, one of the reasons why that, um, uh, from Mo- Moses to Bolshevism, is, I mean, it's discredited in my eyes because Hitler was far more knowledgeable about the Bible to allow something like that to pass. And, I, and you know, I've heard German people say that the NSDAP spoke out against that um, that tract, and that it was black propaganda, and and that it, it it was nothing to do with Hitler, and it was nothing to do with um, I think it was Dietrich Eckhart that wrote it. Dietrich Eckhart is um, you know there, there are quotes from him, Christian quotes and Christian prayers that, that he's written. So to misrepresent. Um, passages from the Bible and misrepresent events from the Bible like that. And the Old Testament is still a part of the Bible. It's still part of the Christian Bible. Christian people respect it, even even if over the last hundred years people have become brainwashed and think that it's actually talking about these Jews of today, which it clearly isn't. So yeah, Hitler knew, knew about these things. He knew, he, he knew the Bible. He knew the Bible well. And he even had the insights to, to know was race mixing. The original sin that cast Adam out of the garden was race mixing, which is um, you know, it's a foundational part of uh, dual seed line Christian identity. Is, is the original sin. It was um, a, a Eve race mixing, and even though he, 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 well, he pretty much pretty much said that. So he understood that, uh, that allegory there in that original. In that original creation story, these these new churches, these uh, modern day churches, they don't even look at Genesis. They don't think it's that that's important. They don't even bother to look at it to understand it, to realise that it says you know ten times in the first chapter, kind after kind, each each being was created in its kind, in one kind, with with the seed of itself within itself. Then everything was good. So the only way you could get even into the world would be by mixing one kind with, with another kind, a different kind. Now, the only way you could get evil into the world is through doing that. So you've actually got a, a physical, biological evil then. You've got something that's not created by God, something that's a corruption of, of the creation. And what's going to follow on from that physical corruption is, is spiritual corruption, which is, which is what we have in the Jews. We have a spiritually corrupt race. It's, they're physically, biologically corrupt as well. Yeah, they have this, this certain streak in them, which the other um, Mongolized races don't have. And the, the other Mongolized races, they, they deteriorate over time. They physically deteriorate, they mentally 
deteriorate. But the Jews have this like a magical satanic streak, is what it appears like to me, because they can breed with all these other races, uh, yet they still retain their, that certain Jewish streak right the way through. It doesn't seem to harm them mongrelizing with other races. Uh, they truly are a spawn of the devil in that in that. Uh, aspect I and mean, we're, we're the children of God and we breed amongst ourselves that's fine but if we breed with the other races we deteriorate but where they're the spawn of Satan they can breed with these other races and uh, they don't appear to deteriorate at all it just um, it just seems it helps them take over whatever nation they're in well the entire healthcare industry is basically sorcery um, intended so that the Jews can have goyim subsidize their health problems, they have um, several dozen, not only, it's not only Tay-Sachs, they have several dozen inherited diseases that are quite debilitating that they um, are using science to attempt to overcome. And, and, and it's really sorcery. It, it's going to fail in the end. There's no doubt. The, the, um, you said a few things which make me want to discuss this sort of sooner than we had planned. That the Catholic Church never represented the Christianity of the two apostles. It never represented it. The Catholic Church as we know it wasn't even um, formed until the 6th century AD in the time of Justinian. Its formation began in the 4th century AD in the days of Constantine. However, for 300 years, true Christianity, the Christianity of the apostles, was persecuted. The original Christian message was persecuted for 300 years, and in spite of that, Christianity continued to grow and grow, and wherever it spread, it took root amongst the members of our race. And the true Christian message, the first century message of the apostles, and we find this in the epistles of Peter, in the epistles of Paul, in the gospel, in the prophets of the ancient scriptures, the true Christianity of the apostles is anti-Jewish and explains, and this is right in the New Testament several times, explains that these people opposed to Christians who hate Christ are infiltrators. They are not the original people of the Bible. The Bible, from one end to another, is a Christian book. The white race are its the, the a, a certain element of the white race are its protagonists, and the people known as the Jews today are its antagonists, and have always been its antagonists. And the apostles, the earliest writers of New Testament scripture portray them as infiltrators and corruptors. And the answers to that are found throughout the historical books of the Old Testament. Adolf Hitler had said in Mein Kampf, and so I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. In standing guard against the Jew, I am defending the handiwork of the Lord. Paul of Tarsus, the Apostle Jude, the Apostle Peter, 
even Jesus Christ in the Revelation would have all agreed with those words of Adolf Hitler. However, many historical portions of what is called the Bible have been removed to other obscure books or even discarded so that the history which reveals the true identity of the Jews as Edomite infiltrators has been obscured. And the Edomites are more closely related to the Arab races than they are to the white race. The Jews themselves actively obscure much of this information. And Christians are blind to it because the Jews... And this, in this aspect, I tried to present in my Martin Luther series, and, and I proved how Martin Luther had quoted so many Jews. The Jews, in this aspect, in the aspect of, of um, concealing their own race to Christians, they started on, on working on that when they began infiltrating the Catholic Church in large numbers and gaining high positions within the Catholic Church in the 12th and 13th centuries. So this is an old struggle. It's not a new struggle. And the Jews themselves have actively sought to obscure as much information concerning their true origins as possible, even though the truth lies or lays, I should say, right in the pages of the New Testament and the histories of Josephus, along with many of the apocryphal books. And Christians are blind to it, but once you're brought to understand it, it stands out at you when you read those books. So even the most devout Christians over the centuries have been confused as to the Jewish question. Martin Luther was confused as to the Jewish question, and he still hated the Jews, and he still hoped that God would incinerate every one of them. The obfuscation of history is why we have a Jewish question. If Christians investigated and found the truth of these matters, the Jewish question would not be a question at all. The bastards would already be ashes. They'd always hit the Holocaust that we really owe them. Yeah, it's, uh, you bring up um, Joseph, Josephus there. I'm reading in Josephus. I mean, it's really clear that there are these infiltrators that have taken over Judea, taken over the administration and the, the high priests. And Josephus himself is really proud of the fact that he's not descended from them and he's not interbred with them at all. And he, he's true born. And you get white nationalists that will show you pictures of this bust of. Um, this uh, sculpture of someone with a with a big Hittite Canaanite Jewish nose, and they'll say, "Oh, well, this is Josephus." And you say, "Well, where's the evidence that that's Josephus?" Oh, it's Josephus. It, it says it's Josephus on Wikipedia. Well, where? Because he doesn't say it anywhere on the bust. He doesn't say it anywhere on the sculpture at all. And you look into it, and it's just some Jews have said, "Oh, that must be Josephus," because this bust, this sculpture. Looks like a Jew. And yet Josephus himself was really clear that he did not look like that. He was really clear that he was true born and he wasn't an Edomite. Right. Josephus had um had been an Essene. 
And Josephus himself, he, he switched later to the party of the Pharisees, and, and that's because he wanted a larger political voice in, in the community. The Essenes really had no political voice at all in Judea. It was all um, controlled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just like today it's controlled by Democrats and Republicans here in America, and, and third parties have really no say at all. But the testimony of Josephus um, in, in his histories of, of the Judeans and antiquities of the Judeans, he clearly said that of the three sects in Judea, the three major sects, the Essenes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, that only the Essenes were Judah, meaning of the real Israelite tribe of Judah, Judah by birth, where the others were comprised, the Sadducees especially, were comprised of people from any tribe in Judea who happened to be Judean citizens simply because they were born in the Roman province of Judea. And the, the scripture and the history of Josephus clearly show that the largest element in Judea was the Edomite population of Judea. The... Um, well, we're going to um, get to the idea that the Old Testament is not a Jewish book momentarily, or hopefully before we end today. But to me, the the, the single biggest disconnect, the the single big, biggest biggest aspect of cognitive dissonance found in white nationalists is the acceptance of a godless world and the Jewish religion of evolution. Those two things sort of go hand in hand. That's the single biggest problem that they have in their thinking. And that is part of, it is a, fully an aspect of the, the Jewish plans for the re-education of the West to create the godless society that they had planned on creating in the West hundreds of years ago. And, and it's outlined in the Protocols of Zion. It's outlined in, in the literature of Frankfurt School. It, it's outlined everywhere that you see um, Jewish thought and philosophy prevail you will find that that has been their plan for the West for hundreds of years. And white nationalists, secular white nationalists, have accepted that. So they're nothing but patsies for the Jews in that aspect. In another aspect, to me, what, what's the second largest um, cognitive dissonance or disconnect in, in the white nationalist mind is that most white nationalists, even though they've accepted the godless Jewish society, still understand that Jews are not to be trusted and that they lie about just about everything. But they still accept this idea that the Jews tell them that they're the people of the Old Testament and the Old Testament is a Jewish book. Is the Old Testament really a Jewish book? And, and I'll let you... Um, give your first opinion, but it certainly is not a Jewish book.
No, I think it's quite clear that it's not a Jewish book. I mean, it's the most influential collection of books that have ever been written. I mean, when, when, I mean the Jews are bankers. They're usurious bankers and whoremongers. They're not the people that are going to write um, a, a spiritual book which is, or collection of books which is going to influence uh, the white race. You just look at the Talmud. I mean, it's, it's all loads of contradictory... Uh, minute and rules and and wild sort of myths that don't make any sense. I mean, the Bible clearly makes sense. It makes sense from from one end to the other. But if you take a look at the Talmud, it's got, it's got some really wild, crazy sort of stuff in there. Which you can you know you you just think, well, this is an allegory. This is just um, crazy stuff about um, giant rabbis and uh, this toilet humor thing. They're very, it's very scatological. And uh, you know, how, how can people believe that these creatures, these Jewish bankers, could have written a, an influential spiritual book that, that pretty much created the religion of the white people, Christianity? It, it, that doesn't make sense to me for a start. Is that they just couldn't possibly... Have, have done that. They couldn't possibly have have created that just just by looking at them. And then when you actually look at the at, at the stories that are actually there in the, in the Bible, most of them get mischaracterized. Especially um, Joseph is one of them. You get a lot of white nationalists who say, "Well, well, Joseph Jewed the Egyptians." He didn't Jew the Egyptians at all. He he won, but he kept the Egyptian Empire alive. He saved all their lives by saving the grain. He was a farmer, otherwise he wouldn't have known how to save the grain for seven years like that, to store it. He knew how to do that because he was a farmer. He wasn't a banker. And uh, he got all the lands back for the pharaoh, for the Egyptians. And then him and the pharaoh gave the land to the Egyptians with seed to um, sow in it. But the, the fact that these people that were living around them actually had this land and it had previously been Egyptian land that shows you that um, they weren't white people, they were non-white because the idea of selling the land is a, is a non-white idea, it's a Jewish idea, selling, you know, get to, selling up your land and these, these um, people had taken the land from Egypt in, in the first place and the Bible calls them Egyptians but that's because they were part of the Egyptian empire but they weren't serving the pharaoh they offered to serve the pharaoh along with selling the land back to Joseph. So that makes it clear that they weren't Egyptian people. They weren't the original Egyptian people because they weren't servants of pharaoh. If they'd been original Egyptian people, they would have been the subjects of pharaoh already. But they, they weren't. They were um, people that were living in his empire. And somehow they'd managed to get all the land. So Joseph cleverly got the land back and gave it to the pharaoh again to give to his people. They were actually the Hyksos. They were the invaders of Egypt um, several centuries before the time of Joseph and the Pharaoh, who had been settled in the Delta for a long time. And, and Joseph used the possession of grain in the time of famine to obtain the land back from the Hyksos peacefully. That, that's the way I understand that element of ancient Egyptian history. Oh, yeah, and so right. they were Kenites and Canaanites from, from the Levant who had invaded Egypt and, and had had held on had managed to hold on to the land. So, yeah, eventually, so, you got it. It is the um, 
that the Old Testament a book representing the Jewish spirit or the Aryan spirit. I, I would I would um, challenge any white nationalist who thinks that the Old Testament is a Jewish book to go read Hesiod, Homer, and the Tragic Poets, and then go read the Exodus and and Judges and Joshua. And, and then tell me the Old Testament is a Jewish book. The Old Testament is certainly a book written in, in, the, in the Aryan tradition, the ancient Aryan tradition. The Exodus, for instance, the Exodus as a literary work was created as, as an epic poem. And it's very similar to the Iliad in many respects. And reading the Iliad or comparing it to the Iliad, one would have to say that in many respects, the Exodus represents the Aryan spirit much like the Iliad. In both books, the gods fought alongside both Greeks and Trojans in, in the Iliad. And, and in the Exodus, God assisted the children of Israel to es escape from Egypt and to confront the enemies overseas, where she was, where it, where the people of Israel were going. In both books, oaths and sacrifices were made to the gods in exchange for their blessings. Agamemnon, the the white nationalists loved to scoff at the idea that Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac for the for, for the sake of God. Abraham did that, and there's a greater story behind that which the white nationalists can never understand because they simply scoff at the scripture. But if we look at the, the, the epic poetry of the Greeks, Agamemnon was told to sacrifice his own daughter in exchange for good winds so that he could cross the sea with the ships to invade the Trojans. So Agamemnon, and diverse accounts tried to clean that up later, but Agamemnon did indeed sacrifice his daughter, Iphigenia, for the benefit of being able to cross, of being able to have his ships cross over the agency. So the idea of child sacrifice is not peculiar in literature to the Hebrew Old Testament. It's right there in the epic poetry of the Greeks. And that was that 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 story, that myth concerning Agamemnon and his daughter was the, the subject of several tragic plays by Euripides and Aeschylus and other writers had mentioned it. In the Exodus, the children of Israel leave Egypt, captivity in Egypt, against incredible odds. Then they invade the land of Canaan and they make war against all of the Canaanite nations, nations which are much larger and better equipped than their own, armies which are much greater than their own. These things are absolutely contrary to the Jewish spirit and the modus operandi of the Jews throughout history. These things, the, that these epic acts of, of bravery are consistent with the Aryan spirit again and again and again all throughout history. 
there were certain additions made to the Old Testament. One of them is the book of Esther. It wasn't in any of the original Greek Old Testaments for 16 centuries. The book of Esther was not accepted, but it was accepted by certain to the first century Pharisees, and it's loved by the Jews. The book of Esther does not belong in Scripture. It's a Jewish romance novel. It could be disproven from both internal evidence and from history. Allowing the Jews, as the people of the Old Testament, allowing the Jews to be ancient Israel, whether one despises them or not, is actually legitimizing the Jews and perpetuating the Jewish question so that future generations may succumb to their treachery as well. Allowing the Jews, or imagining the Jews, to be telling the truth in regards to this great epic literature of the time of Moses is absolutely incredible. Strabo, Theodore Siculus, these great pagan writers of the first century B.C., neither of these men disregarded Moses as a Jew. Both of these men saw Moses, and both of these men were thoroughly Greek. Both of these men saw Moses as a great law builder and the founder of great cities, just like the Bible says that he is. The uh, Israelites, they were builders, and they were farmers. The Jews aren't builders, they're not farmers. The, the uh, Israelites, they built two cities when the, the time that they were in captivity in Egypt. One of the things that uh, get leveled, gets leveled at them is, oh, well, they spoiled the Egyptians of, of all their goods before they left. But they, they were due far more than that for all the work that they'd done. Plus, the, um, the Egyptians had been throwing their babies into the crocodiles, their live babies into the river. So they, so they took what they could. And uh, where it says borrowed, I think that's in the Bible, that's a bit of a mistranslation because it, it, um, the, the word itself is just asking what you're owed for, asking for what, what you're owed. And it only got translated as borrowed twice, and it got translated as asking for what you're owed, and, and um, various other other points there. When I looked in the, um, well, when I checked it out, and uh, and uh, also with with that Egyptian pharaoh that did enslave the Hebrews, now it was a different pharaoh to the one that Joseph helped. Because it tells you that, that another pharaoh came along that knew not Joseph. So this is telling you that there's a non-white pharaoh that's now on the throne. When uh, Joseph was helping the Egyptians, there was a white pharaoh on the throne. And it tells you that one came along that knew not Joseph. And you can see, so you can tell that, that they're non-white. And this was how the pharaoh's daughter was able to tell straight away that uh, this infant baby Moses was, was a Hebrew. Because she knew that he was a different white, different race. He, he was white, and these were white people that that had been enslaved by, by these uh, non-whites that were running Egypt at the time. You can see from their actions. And Moses himself, he gave up the life of a, of a prince amongst the foreign people, being treated to the high life, being treated as a prince. He gave all that up to save the life of one of his. A racial kinsman that he didn't know, never seen him before, 
but he saved his life, and in doing so, he killed one of these non-white Egyptians, and he had to flee. And then his people, they uh, they were murmuring, and they were they weren't happy about it. And instead of keeping quiet about it, they they were castigating him for this, for saving one of their lives. And so they'd made made life worse for them. So you know that's he wasn't behaving like a Jew. He was behaving like an Aryan. He gave up this this life of riches and this life of splendor, which he could have had. He could have been made into the pharaoh, but he gave all that up just to save the life of one of his one of his kinsmen that he'd never met before, never spoken with before. See, Moses wasn't wasn't behaving like a Jew either. And when you look at the book of Esther, it's it's the one book in the Bible that doesn't actually mention God in it. And if you look at it, the behaviour of these Jews in there, I mean, they're actually breaking the laws because the uh, if if they actually were um, Israelites, these ones, the the because it calls them the Jews in um, the Book of Esther. If they had actually been of Judah, then they would have been breaking the um, covenant anyway by marrying the daughter of the Persian king because they, they were supposed to just marry amongst themselves. They weren't supposed to interbreed with the nations around them. So you've got this Esther um, marries into this other, this other nation. So that's, that's telling you that they're, they're not obeying the laws. Something's not quite right here. And then you've got um, the, the massacre that they have at the end of it, that the, that the Jews still celebrate today as Purim. But even Josephus wasn't certain about Esther. I'm I'm pretty sure that he wrote something about Esther, and he he didn't think he wasn't certain on the origins of it, or whether it um, should be included as as holy scripture. And obviously, it, it's changed over time. But I think the Book of Esther sort of warns people that there are these imposters there that are calling themselves Jews, and uh, they are so powerful they've managed to get this book put in there in amongst all the other scriptures. And the book doesn't con doesn't contain any mention of God, and it's a warning to the white people to pay attention to what goes on in that book and, and, and what it's talking about because it's, it's not referenced anywhere else the only people that, that, that reference it are the Jews today when they have their Purim festival when they, when they make cakes in the shape of uh, Haman's ears and they get drunk and, and the men dress up as women and uh, the idea is to be, get as drunk as possible and be as obnoxious as possible with overtones of cannibalism and uh, massacring all the Gentiles it's got nothing to do with um, and also they institute, a they institute a festival at the end of it whereas part of the laws that the Israelites were given were that they weren't to institute any new festivals so they weren't to institute any new festivals and they weren't to intermarry with the nations around them and yet in this book of Esther you've got um, this Esther intermarries and, they, and these Jews institute uh, a, new, a new festival but it doesn't call them uh, the tribe of Judah it calls them Jews in there, and right from the beginning, there's been um, there was uh, infiltrators. I suppose is the best word to call it. Race mixed peoples as part of the living among the tribe of Judah. You had um, the Shelahites, so you did have these traitors living in amongst them. So you've got this thread that goes right the way through the Bible, I think, and it identifies the the um, the enemy. And the enemy always behaves like the enemy. And the enemy is always someone with adulterated blood. And even you go right back to um, the flood, I mean, everyone, well, the white nationalists say, what a load of nonsense this flood is. But, you know, the whole point of the flood was because of race mixing. It was a, it was a race mixing incident that caused that, says the sons of God mated with the daughters of man.
So it's a race mixing event, and it, that, that's what caused that's what caused the flood. Whether it was a local flood, as uh, most people tend to believe, because uh, other words used in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean the whole world. Or whether you think it, it was the whole world, it's regardless of that, it was a race mixing event that caused that. So these people that are the Jews today that we know are Mongols, we know they are race mixed. That's why you know that's why they are Arabs. That's why they call themselves Semitic rather than actually having a proper racial term, they have a linguistic term, because they're, because they're Mongols. So they're, they're hated by God. You know, the world, world was flooded, or, or their land was flooded, purely because of that sin, that, that great sin. You know, you've got, you've got the Tower of, of Babel, where the nations were building this tower and, and all intermingling together. Again, the languages was confounded, because you didn't want to have the, the uh, nations intermingling couldn't have them adulterating amongst one another. You know, the, the nations were holy and they were created by God. So mixing them up uh, and race mixing is, is the, the greatest sin. So how could you have these people that are the Jews today, they're race mixed people, the Mongolized people, then claim that they're responsible for this book which claims Mongoli Mongolization is, is the worst possible sin. Unforgivable, un unforgivable sin. It's, it's a sin that can never be put right. So how could these, these people um, that are Mongolized be responsible for this? They're not responsible for it. They're not responsible for it at all. It's just that they had some, had some of the old, because they were out, out there in Jerusalem, whereas all the rest of the tribes of Israel have been dispersed and into Europe and got kicked out and removed from the land that they were living in by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they didn't have any of their records with them. And this can be shown that some of them remembered it, like you've got the graves in Crimea, which show you that um, the tribes, tribes of Israel are traveling through Crimea. The ones that went back to Jerusalem, they didn't have very much either, but uh, they still had the, and were still able to um, write the Septuagint from, I think it's, well, there's quite a feat of memory doing that as well, but they still managed to write the Septuagint. So they, they had these records, and, and then obviously, from then, from that group of people, then got mixed in with the Edomites and the Arabs, Arab Edomites, as Josephus tells you, and they are the people that then wrote the Talmud and had the commandments of men. These are the people that Jesus spoke out against, especially for their proselytizing, saying, you know, the, every, you make every proselyte a child of hell. It's a sin to go preaching your religion to others. And that's what these Jews were doing. They were preaching their religion to Arabs and accepting anybody into it. Anybody that got circumcised could, be, could become a Jew. And that's what was going on, whereas the covenant was made with this one people, this, this one people that, that were called Israel. And just just a, a, an interesting aside here, Bill. I don't know if you know this, but the, the Gottmittuns that the Germans had on their belts, God with us, God is L, with is R, and uh, us is Ish man. So it's actually Israel or El Ra Ish in Hebrew is what they had on their belts. Got Midun's El Ra Ish, and um, if you read that in the correct way of reading Hebrew, which is um, right to left, it's Israel. So, so the, Ger the Germans, Hitler's army, actually had Israel written on their written on their belts. If you translate the um, uh, the German words into their Hebrew words, again, so that's another uh, marker of, of, you know, white people being, the, being these descendants. We're the ones that um, 
the, our ancestors that, that wrote the Bible, and uh, the Jews were, were the bastardized enemies that were against them all, all this time. I don't think it, it could be any clearer, really. I mean, why would our people become Christians if it wasn't their religion in the, in the first place? I mean, they, they refused to bow down to the gods of Rome. They wouldn't bow down to, to foreign, foreign gods. They would rather die than bow down to foreign gods. And yet they became, they became uh, Christian. Uh, and these Jews say, if they were capable of creating a religion, I mean, what they've created is atheism and communism. That's what they've come up with. They don't come up with um, lay down your life for your nation, lay down your life for your friends, love your nation, which, which is what the, uh, the Bible is all about. The Jews don't come out with that. Many of the tribes of the Goths and, and, and the Alans had accepted Christianity freely long before Rome accepted Christianity. That the, um, that the idea that the, the Jews loved to infiltrate and corrupt nations, and, and the history that they have done this is... is um, it's very clear that this has been their practice throughout history. Even the Bolshevik Revolution was sort of an anomaly for the Jews, and that they had full um, money power in the West when they perpetrated the Bolshevik Revolution, which is probably why they had ventured it, knowing that they had control of the West for the most part at, at the time that they did it. At, at the um, as soon as it was apparent that Germany was going to be defeated in the First World War, that sort of paved the way for the Jews to launch the Bolshevik Revolution, and they did. And and that was an anomaly for them to take a country by force when every other country they've that they've slowly infiltrated and undermined and and use their money power to buy off the nobility or to buy off the political classes so that they could eventually take the nation over and convert it to their will. And, and we've seen them do that all throughout history. And that's not the Bible story. It's very clearly, it, it should be evident that the Jews, the people that call themselves Jews today, had done the same thing in Judea 2000, actually 2200 years ago, and we could go back into the pages of Josephus and see the history of the Edomites in Judea for 200 years before the time of Christ, and we could see precisely how the family of Herod which was an Edomite merchant family, had curried favor with the, the kings of Judea, infiltrated his, their governments, and overthrew them to take that nation over. That is the Jewish tactic. That is how the Edomites took Judea over to get the name Jew 2,200 years ago. And it's a huge disconnect, a matter of white nationalist cognitive dissonance, that they can't take the time to understand that simple history. If they take the time to understand that, it's very easy to show that today's Jews 
are those Edomites who infiltrated the kingdom and took it over 2,200 years ago. And that's the story we see in, in the, the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 34. We see it in Romans chapter 9. We see it in the revelation of Christ in chapters 2 and 3. That's the story we see in John chapter 8. That's the story we see in Luke chapter 11. It's all over the scripture in little places, and it's clear in the history of Josephus. So thinking that these Jews of today uh, are the, um, these Israelites of the Old Testament is really pretty short-sighted and shallow of white nationalists to simply accept that Jewish story. Now, some of them seem to, seem to think that it relies on um, the, the fact that a large portion of them are Khazars. But the Khazars are race mixed as well. And anything that's Mongolized couldn't possibly have, have written the Bible or have had uh, anything to do with it. And even the Khazars, uh, some of their history, they say that they originated in Mount Zaire, which is where Esau was from, which is where these Edomites were from in the first place. And it wasn't just the Edomites, you've got the, um, the Sephavayim as well. And, and the Sephavayim, who, who have a name very similar to the Sephardim, the Sephardic Jews today, they came into Jerusalem when the um, tribe of Judah were removed from Jerusalem, and these, the Sephavayim came in there and moved in there. And it tells you, um, I think it tells you in the Bible, that the, the king of Assyria or the king of Babylonia moved in all these, uh, all these troublesome races that he was having troubles with. He removed them all to Jerusalem. So you had these, these people that were moved into that area. All the troublesome nations of that area were removed to the place where the original Israelites had been once the Israelites were removed. And when that small portion went back there, a small portion of the tribe of Judah, 10% of the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Judah was only 10% of um, the, uh, all the tribes of Israel, so it's only 1% of the people that went back to Jerusalem in the first place. And then they, some of them kept themselves pure, and, but a large portion of them ended up interbreeding with the races that were there, the nations that were there, and with these Edomites. So by the time you had Jesus there, you had this multicultural mess similar to these cities that we have today. And, and that was what uh, Jerusalem had become. And the, um, likewise, the, the story with the Khazars, the, 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 the um, Aryan tribes in the area of the Caspian Sea. Well, when the Jews were excluded from owning Christian slaves, from loaning money at usury, and from holding political office, those three things principally, the excluded the Jews from being able to function like Jews within the Byzantine Empire. So many of the Jews went to Arabia, and, and that's when the Jews created Islam in order to destroy the Byzantine Empire, in order to um, radicalize and militarize the Arabs. And that's when many Jews also went up into the regions beyond um, Persia to the Black and Caspian Sea regions, and they had managed to convert white tribes, remnants of white tribes that were in those regions, and, and 
turn Kazaria, what became known as Kazaria, into a Jewish state, and they started to import the Mongolized Mongol and mixed tribes from the east, and the Jews basically produced from the east, they encouraged the Turks and the Mongols to invade Christendom. The Jews were behind that. Martin Luther wrote that the Jews were behind that. Scholars of the Middle Ages understood that the Jews in Khazaria were behind the invasions of the Byzantine Empire, these Jewish merchants, because they wanted to destroy Christendom because Christendom had excluded the Jews. They created Islam for that purpose. They created the, the, the Turkish hordes that they encouraged the Turkish hordes to raise, to, to raid and, and to pillage the Byzantine Empire for that same purpose. The, um, for a while, they had quite the empire in Khazaria, and, and they did mongrelize it. They did create a, a genetic cesspool there. The results are still in that area today, just like the, the Islamic expansion created a genetic cesspool of, of half of the Mediterranean or better. It, it's, that's what the Jews do wherever they go. If you look at um, the Quran, the style of writing, it's got nothing in common whatsoever with the Old Testament, but it's very similar to the Talmud. It contains um, similar phrases. It's, uh, the same phrases, this peace be upon him, that they say about um, Muhammad, curses be upon him, I say. But they use that same phrase in the Talmud. The Talmud's got, it's so similar to, to the Quran in the way that, it, that it's written. But it's got nothing in common whatsoever with, with the Old Testament. Just the idea that the Jews could have written the Bible is such an affront that um, they would be able to conceive of anything like that, to, to write anything like that. I mean, if you look at the Talmud, it, it can't go for more than a couple of paragraphs without um, some absolute craziness in there. Whereas the Old Testament, I mean, it's poetic. Like you were saying about the, the Exodus, it's, it's a poem, just like the Iliad. And you can really tell this. If you look at the, the style of writing of the, of the Talmud and the Quran, there's no poetry there. There's no inspiration there. You can tell it's the work of a mongolized mind. Whereas reading the Old Testament, it, is, it could only have been written by white people just because of the pure poetry that's in it. Well, well, first, the idea that these um, mixed-race bastards, the, the word Arab means mixed in Hebrew. And, and they're called that because they are mixed-race bastards. And the idea that these mixed-race bastards can have any legitimate claim to inheritance at all with the white race or with the original Hebrews is absolutely insane. The idea is insane. The Jews love to promote the idea that there are these Abrahamic religions and they're not Abrahamic religions at all. There's only one Abrahamic religion, and that's Christianity. In um, the Epistle of Ignatius to the Magnesians, written at the end of the first century AD, it may have been at the beginning of the second, but it was pretty early. Ignatius had said that, and, and he said appropriately, that 
Christianity didn't come from Judaism, as the Jews were claiming them. Rather, Judaism is a perversion of Christianity. The Old Testament religion is Christianity. The Jews have corrupted that Old Testament religion into Judaism. And there's only one Abrahamic religion. The other two are frauds. Islam is every bit the contrivance of the Jews that Judaism is. And through it, they were able to militarize the Arabs and use them against Christendom, and that is going on to this very day. It infuriates me, that phrase. That's one phrase that really does infuriate me, this, this Abrahamic faith rubbish. Because there's, there was, you would never have heard a phrase like that 100 years ago. I don't even know when it was first used. Because it, it's an absolute nonsense. It's, it's an affront to Christianity. And you, you imagine saying to um, the Crusaders, oh, that's, that's an Abrahamic faith, those Saracens that are invading. Oh, that's an Abrahamic faith, these uh, Muslims that are coming over and snatching the, the white women from Europe to sell as slaves. Or, or telling them that, 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 that the Jews, that, that, the usurers that were living beyond the pale, that were uh, kidnapping little boys and, and crucifying them at their festivals and drowning them in blood. And then saying to them, oh, well, that's an Abrahamic faith. They're the, they're the brothers in, in your faith. You know, it just wouldn't have been possible. The idea that there could have been Abrahamic faith, plural, just wouldn't have been countenanced. It, it, it would, you know, it's impossible. There's nothing to do with it. They had nothing to do with it. You know, God cursed the Jews. He, and, and the Muslims are something completely different altogether. There was only one Abrahamic faith, and that's Christianity. And there was only one chosen people, and that's the Christian people. The idea that the Jews were, were the chosen people, again, that's another thing, that, another phrase that could never have been um, voiced a century ago. You would, you would never have heard that being said, and, and no Christian would have stood for it. Christians are the ones that were chosen, not the, not the Jews. The Jews were cursed forevermore. They were cursed. And anyone that, that denied Christ is an antichrist. So there is no, no Judeo-Christianity. It's an oxymoron that's just come about in the last century. It's come about through their infiltration of, of the church. And, and the only way they could infiltrate the church was through people not knowing their Bibles. I mean, Jesus was quite clear that they're the sons of the devil, I think people get confused with the bit where um, he says, well, if you, if you had um, truly repented, you will do such and such and such and such. But reading that to me, it just seems like he's, he's being cynical. Like, you know, well, if you truly repented, you'll be able to do this, knowing that there's no possible way that they could uh, ever do that. And that's the only bit that I can think of that, uh, you know, could be mis- misinterpreted to say that Jews could, could repent. That uh, you know, to say that they are the children of the devil, and to then allow try and convert them to Christianity, I mean, that just seems mad to me. I, I, I don't think that happens for um, no, for a very long time. But no, the idea there, that the idea behind those clauses is that, and and we see this right from the book of Genesis, that God always challenged evil men men who were bastards, men who couldn't possibly repent. God always challenged evil men to do good, and those challenges, when we see that evil men always fail, 
those challenges serve as an example to good men that the evil men can't possibly be good. God said to Cain in the book of Genesis, if you do good, won't you be accepted? And in the very next verse, Cain goes out and kills his brother, who's really his half-brother. Cain goes out and kills his brother, which shows us that even though God challenged him to do good, he couldn't do it. Because bastards can't possibly do good. Jews can't possibly do good. That's another facet of white nationalist cognitive dissonance, is the idea that there could be good Jews. Like, oh, Nathaniel Kattner, he's a good Jew. Or, or Bobby Fischer, he's a good Jew. Or, or Harold Rosenthal. Or, but whatever name they're going to throw up, whatever health, self-hating Jew that they're going to use as an example to try to find a good Jew. But that's like saying that you could have a good devil. You can't have a good devil. There are no good devils. If devils are acting good, it's to deceive you so that you accept devils. Well, that's just it, isn't it? If people think, oh, oh well, that one's all right. And it's the same thing when, when people say, oh, well, I know Negro, and they're not, they're not so bad. And he, or, 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 we've got a few Chinamen that live here, they're not so bad, or a few Asians. And, well, it doesn't matter if there is the, the, the odd one that isn't so bad. Uh, that's just an exception to the rule. It doesn't mean that the rule doesn't exist. And uh, even if they were, were um, never caused any trouble at all, they've still got that Jewish blood in them. So uh, their descendants are going to cause trouble, or their descendants' descendants. So they're, they're still going to cause trouble in some manner or other, even if they're just being used to, you know, even if they're not being particularly wicked at the time. It's just a, a ruse. And this is the way these things this is the way these things work. And we are I think we're we're being constantly tested and it wouldn't be a test if it was uh, if it was made easy. I mean, if evil do, just looked evil all the time, then um it, it there would be no um there'd be nothing positive to actually resisting it. It it would be it'd be easy to just resist it. You know, there there wouldn't be any worth to your resisting it if evil looked evil all the time. We're being tested to follow the, the, the word of uh, the Lord, so that we prove that we, we have some worth. You know, is I think that's what a lot of this is about. Is is proving you know that we do have some worth. We're given a second second chance after um, a disastrous bit at the beginning of creation. We're given a second chance. And, uh, we're uh, we've got to prove that that that. Um, we are better than these others. We, we are capable of, of repenting. You know, the others, the rest of them can't. It's like such a nonsense to put Negroes in prison. They, they can't show repentance. They can't, they can't turn over a new leaf. They're just the way that they are. Whereas, whereas white people can. Naturally, we are good. We are good people. But we get turned by by the world. We get tested by the world, and, and we have to resist it. Again, this is what the Bible is about. It's about resisting the wickedness and resisting the evil. How could that have come from from a Jew? How could the how could the Jews have written anything about that? They're all about temptation and tempting people. And they're telling people to go along with their base urges and their instincts. The pornography that they that they promote, the drugs, the, the uh drinking, the gambling, the usury, all of it is that's what comes from the Jews. Not 
the Ten Commandments, not, you know, thou shalt not adulterate, but go out there and race mix. That's what comes from the Jews. The diametrical opposite of what the Jew preaches is, is what's in the Bible. And some of the Israelites in the individual Israelites might behave badly, they're punished for that by their God. It's, it's a, a book about their, their redemption. So for the white nationalists to say, well, they, you know, they, it's, Jews must have written that because there's bad behaviour in it. But, you know, white people behave badly. You know, I've even had it said, oh, why should white people be told that they shouldn't have to kill one another? White people don't need to be taught that. Well, you know, did we not just have two disastrous world wars where we went out killing our brothers? You know, <clears throat> we are naturally good, but we are also corrupted. We're also corrupted beings. So we have this temp- we have temptation that we fight against, and the Bible is all about encouraging us to fight that temptation and explaining where that temptation comes from in in allegory and in, in myth, and it all fits together. That's why it shows that it's that it's holy because it all fits together, and because it works on so many different levels. You've got the historical level, and you've got the allegorical level. Even the allegorical levels work on many different levels, and you can get many different sort of moral. What, Many different um, explanations for for certain certain sentences. Like you can get so many different lessons from them. Three or four different lessons in one sentence. That's why it's holy literature. You know, the Jews aren't going to write anything that's so deep and, and profound as that. They're just going to come up with a balance sheet or some, or some pornography. It really is a crazy idea to think that the, the Jews are capable of writing the the Bible, and it, it's crediting them with being the architects of, of white religion. It's crediting them with being the architects of our civilization and our laws, which they clearly are, are not. You know, they can't even manage their own grotty little hellhole out in the Middle East, can they, without our help? You know, they're hardly capable of, of uh, designing and creating a religion that is the bedrock of, of white civilization or European civilization. It's just an impossibility. So it's completely and utterly illogical to think that they wrote the Bible. It's just it's just a convenient way for people to avoid looking into it themselves and to avoid um, identifying as Christians. I think. Well, well, I'm sorry. If you look at the Edomite, the history of Edom or Edomia, as it's called in. Greek and Roman writings. If you look at the history of Edom, what, which is recorded and, 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 and is first mentioned in secular records all the way back in, in, in the 7th and 8th centuries BC, the Bible is history. It can be proven from ancient inscriptions. We do a lot of that at Christogenia. That the, if, if you look at the history of Edom, you'll see that these are a Canaanite people. They have the name Edom from the patriarch Esau in the Bible, but he had married Canaanite wives and moved to an area which was controlled by Canaanites and had continued to intermingle with the Canaanites so that they're sons of Abraham in name only. The Edomites are Canaanites. And when you go back into the scripture and look at the behavior of the Canaanites, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are Canaanite cities. And they were destroyed, but there were many other Canaanites in the area who acted the same way. Those things are an example for us. When you look at, I have a website, 
Lithopolis.net, and, and on the front page at the bottom right now, there's an article about um, the, the and, and it's a mainstream media article. It's linked to a mainstream media article. Tel Aviv, Trump's New York, to be named the world's best gay city. Now, Tel Aviv is rampant with homosexuals, with sexual deviants, and of course, so is New York. And New York was the world's best gay city for the longest time, but now all of a sudden, Tel Aviv has eclipsed it. Why are the two best gay cities also the two cities with the most Jews? The Jews create Sodom and Gomorrah wherever they go. When Adolf Hitler came to power in, in 1932, the first thing he did was clean up the streets of Berlin because the Jews had been in control of Berlin for decades before Hitler came to power, and Berlin was full of sexual deviancy. They were advertising for homosexuality, lesbianism in public. I have examples on my website of public posters that trumpet lesbianism in, in Berlin in the 1920s. Berlin was the New York of the 1920s, was the Tel Aviv of the 1920s. It was controlled by Jews during the Weimar years, and it was every bit the moral cesspool that New York and Tel Aviv are today. So, so wherever the Jews have gone in history, that they have created Sodom and Gomorrah, and they still do it today. And we could look all through the, the, the pornograph, the pornography. The history of pornography in the West is um, congruent to the history of the Jews in the West. They're one and the same. One goes with the other. So, so why, why can't white nationalists see this and see these patterns of behavior and understand that the Bible is a warning about these people, these same people, 3,500 years ago, and the history of the interaction of a portion of our race, who were the Hebrews, <laughs> with a portion of their race, who were the Canaanites and the struggle between those two races, which is still going on today. And today, we allow it to go on because we do not know our history. And we cannot properly identify these people for the bastards and the devils that they really are. It's, uh, I think that's one of the most important things to do, really, is to to identify them as, as who they are and speak to Christians about about this, the Judeo-Christians that are being lied to in their churches. Because any of them that uh, actually honor the Bible and think that they are obeying you know, God's laws, once you tell them this, once you tell them the truth about the Jews, show them the verses in the Bible, tell them the history of it, well, they've got no choice but, but, to, you know, but to, to start rejecting the Jew. And, and join us, basically, because that's what it says, says the Bible. A Christian identity is, is biblical, is, is biblically based. If it's not in the Bible, it's not in Christian identity. And the, you know, the majority of these Christians, the Judeo-Christians, they're really serious about their faith, and, and they really do think that they're following the Bible, but they've just been led astray 
by their preachers. And these 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 preachers, they, they don't know anything about this or they try to ignore it. You did have um, preachers that, that knew about this about 100 years ago. They wrote books about this. I mean, the, the, the scholarly works about the descendants of Shem and, and Ham and Japet and, and their migrations and how the Bible fitted in with history, and this was all just common knowledge up to about a century ago. And there were there was a, a vicars uh, in the church, in the Church of England, that, was, that were writing about how the Celtic Church was supplanted by the Roman Catholics uh, and talking about all this, this, all this history. And uh, Christian identity is just carrying on that, that scholarship. But it, but it was known. And, and after the war, it's sort of been, it's been hidden. Uh, and the, the, the priests in the church, the vicars, the chaplains, you know, they they don't seem either they don't seem to be aware of it or they they choose to ignore it. But if you've got a a, a devout Judeo-Christian that you know, then you should be telling them this stuff because they can't they can't possibly ignore it. It's, it's God's word, and, and they they realise that they're going that they've been doing wrong, and and uh, they'll turn around and start rejecting the Jew. They've got no other choice but to do that if they're serious about being a Christian. No doubt. Okay, Sven, that, that, that's, uh, we could probably can, conduct this for hours. We'll, we'll, uh, there are still some topics that we want to touch on in regards to this that we haven't gotten to, and, and um, I don't know if we want to commence with that in two weeks or, or try something else in our next program. That, that's, we'll discuss that over the next week. Okay. Thank you for joining me. Praise Yahweh. Where shall we? Good night.